Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Tech Central. Welcome to Tech Radio in association with Fidelity Investments. We are the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you news in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, you can hear Tech Radio on air with RTE Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite Apple, Google or Spotify podcasting apps. Also, if you're on Apple, do give us a five-star rating because it helps people find the show uh, quicker. We also keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters, which you can grab for free at techcentral.com. This is episode number 824. My name is Dusty Rhodes and joining me is uh, Niall Kitson, our editor-in-chief with all the news of the week and Facebook leading off the pack because nobody wants to go there anymore. Yeah, so semi-live and direct from the COVID kitchen. Who knows for how much longer, um, seeing as I'm allowed out. Maybe, maybe we'll do like a few shows from like a coffee shop or a park or places that we, we weren't able to go for the last few weeks. But uh, anyway, yes, down to business. Facebook, uh, it looks like a third of advertisers, that many, could be abandoning Facebook over its sort of uh, no more hate for profit sort of umbrella movement that has sprung up uh, across social media in general. So as we know, uh, all the Facebook platforms, so that's Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, also Twitter are being hit with this sort of widespread corporate hub where an awful lot of MNCs like Starbucks, like Coke, um, have affiliated themselves, I, I suppose, with this no stop hate for profit movement. Um, and the, the idea is that, look, you're making money off fermenting racial and political tension. We don't really want to be associated with that kind of behaviour as brands. So um, how about we just not give you any of our money until you sort this out properly? So, Sounds fair? Uh, well, there's two sides to every story. You know, I, I can just hear Mark Zuckerberg saying, but we don't encourage any. We don't profit off anything of that. We can't control everything that's said on our platform. We're just a platform. Which is what he has been saying forever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think over the last year and a half, two years, things are really coming home to roost that the traditional rules of platform and publisher just don't don't apply anymore. The, uh, the rules of the game have changed and people are picking up um, information on Facebook as if it's gospel. People aren't um, applying reasonable critical faculties to what is being... No presented to them because what is being presented to them is targeted content. It's things that we think you will like, not things that are actually accurate. If it was a case of the material on Facebook being accurate, um, at least in in nominal terms, um, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Uh, The fact that a lot of it is fake, either by design or just bad quality of information, uh, completely changes Facebook from a passive platform into an actor into what's going on. Because Facebook, you know, they might be able to uh, moderate individual pieces of content uh, in the case of, you know, if you're looking at fringe publications or something like that. But you absolutely can say, do you know what, this entire outlet is fraudulent Mm. or just spouts conspiracy theories or has no balance. You can just shut that down mm. 
And Facebook have resolutely sought not to do that. So the only way to get companies like this to actually change anything is to hit them in their wallet. Um, well, you, you see, I, I think yes and no, uh, because we've had the EU and we've had the states and stuff like that. And then there's all been all massive fines placed against Facebook. All right. And that's hitting him in, in the wallet. But I think Facebook's kind of attitude has been like, oh, well, it's kind of like a kid. Do you know what I mean? Dad didn't give me my pocket money this week or, you know, kind of I've been grounded for a week, but sure, look, life will continue on. Um, but I think when you have, as you say, up to a third of your advertisers, your customers are going, right, that's it. And then the word is getting out and more and more people are jumping on that bandwagon. I think this could actually change things in Facebook. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, the size of the companies that are pulling away, um, it's Bad PR for Facebook, but it's also money saved and excellent PR for the companies that are leaving. So, you know, MNCs are only a tiny, you know, in numerical terms, they're only a tiny number of advertisers on Facebook. Mm. Um, It's when you get into the small companies, the companies with less than 10 people who rely on Facebook as their primary platform, uh, who invest or who spend a lot of money on Facebook. These are the people that ultimately will bear the cost of this. I mean, if Facebook decides that they have to change their terms of advertising or they go, okay, look, moderation is going to cost X more. We're going to have to put up our ad rates to um, to mitigate against that. Then you're going to see problems uh, because you know for sure that if Facebook, if and when Facebook admits that they have a serious moderation problem, that their efforts to date you know, you can't wheel out the wheel do better excuse uh, anymore. They're, that's done. They that will, time is done. Yeah, they will never admit they have a moderation uh, problem. They'll just say that they're making improvements. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, listen, actually, uh, putting that aside, uh, Facebook also in the news this week because they're making uh, improvements. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can see this because <laughs> I can see the spin that they could do on this. They could say it's an improvement and no longer by default will we keep your property, da da da, et cetera. What, what, tell me the change they're making. Well, this is actually Google. So uh, we get to move from one internet giant to another that we can whinge about. Um, as, as we all know, seeing as we've been on lockdown for the last while, we've been looking for different and, and crazy ways to amuse ourselves. And uh, you can imagine one of the things people like doing with their phones is taking pictures. There has been a flood of pictures online, clogging up various cloud storage services, one of which, of course, being Google Photos, uh, which will back up your your pictures from your phone. Of course, your pictures coming from any and all services that you're coming in, whether it's your WhatsApp, your Facebook Messenger, whatever. If it's saved to your phone, you can save it to Google Photos. Uh, Of course, Google has said, look, just taking up too much storage, we can't. We can't be dealing with this. So we need to reduce the amount of material that's going up there. Uh, Because I'm sure when Google sets up these services like this, you know, they're thinking, okay, most people will use this much storage. You know, they, they, they have a figure in mind. They can say, you know, unlimited storage, but they really, they're, they're thinking in terms of less than a hundred gigs, you know, they're thinking in relatively small terms. Um, But, uh, because people are taking so, so many more photos and sharing them around just to prove that, you know, they're still alive and all that sort of thing. You know, take a picture with holding a, a newspaper and all that kind of crack. Um, uh, so Google has said, OK, look, you can still upload your photos. That's fine. But we're just going to take off the automatic session section for it or the automatic function, which I think will 
save them an awful lot of storage because how many people have been backing up their photos to Google and not actually knowing they're doing it? Of oh, millions. We all do it. And then, of course, right. like you never go through the photos, you never sort them out. And so you're just keeping not only are you keeping a, a ton of stuff in there, you're keeping a ton of rubbish. Yeah. And that's very much the Google position. Uh, so they've come out and said, look, if you want to continue uh, auto updating or auto backing up, that's perfectly fine. Uh, go into the following settings, which, to be honest, as soon as the word, you know, manual or not automatic or something pops up, I think you lose a lot of people's interests at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, pro- probably for the better, I'd say, in the uh, long run. Listen, uh, last story for today. Uh, let's talk about Microsoft. Uh, uh, Microsoft v. Apple. Oh, my God. It's like David and Goliath. Um, or no, it's not like it's like Goliath and Goliath, isn't it? Um, it's, it's however, like two angry Goliaths. <laughs> Microsoft are a COVID-19 victim. Oh, my God. They are, yeah. Microsoft around the world had 82 retail outlets, uh, 72 of them in the US, and all their retail stores are being shuttered. Uh, Bar four, um, one in New York, one in London, one in Sydney, and their own store in Redmond, Washington, which are being repurposed, uh, not as retail outlets, but as experience stores. So basically like the genius part of the Apple stores, I guess. Um, of course, Microsoft's uh, experience with retail has not been fantastic or as effective as Apple. Um, now, you were in Curry's uh, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since I was in one, so I, my memory is slightly I'm, hazy. I'm always in Curry's. <laughs> You're always in Curry's. It's your favorite place. Does um, Microsoft still lease out small parts of the stores to showcase Surface? Uh, the way they do it is they have like a Surface desk, if, if yeah. you want. And then they've got like an Apple area. That's the best yeah. way I can describe it. So they've got like a, a section for laptops, if you like. OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they've got a section for desktops. And then they've got like a Microsoft section. All right. Where all yeah, the surfaces yeah. will be. And then and they're just tabletop things. All right. Then there's an actual section with several tables. Uh, mm-hmm. Like like you would find in the Apple Store, grossly large tables with uh, uh, minutely small electronics on them. Uh, exactly, which which is you know Apple has been doing extremely well with that model as well. Uh, so Microsoft has been playing catch up with that. They're going to have to write off four hundred and fifty million dollars uh, off their books just for shuttering uh, stores. But apparently, they're not laying off any staff. They're uh, retraining them uh, to put them online with digital storefronts where you will be able to book one-to-one consultations with Microsoft Surface experts, which is actually quite useful. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> Perhaps. All right, Grant. Listen, that is it for the news for this week. Thank you, as always, Niall. Just before we move on, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Fidelity Investments. As we all know, times are uncertain, but your job does not have to be. Fidelity Investments are hiring for tech roles in Ireland. You can apply now at fidelityinvestments.ie to virtually join a global leader in fintech innovation from the safety of your own home. Their website again, fidelityinvestments.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. All right, Niall's still in the uh, COVID kitchen. It's all change at the moment, I think it's fair to agree, yeah? Uh, absolutely, yeah. And, Tell me. and you wonder, like, as we're as we're entering sort of the post-COVID stage, like, what what is 
the world going to be like in terms of just how we do normal things? Like, I mean, one of the one of the things that, you know, people are going back to the hairdressers and that's going to look like it is for a certain while. People are going back to the um, cinemas and that's going to look like it does for a certain while. But what about beyond then? You know, when does the buffer period end and how do we get back to, you know, regular services? Indeed. But I think when you're taking that point and kind of looking at what's going to happen from here on, what about stuff that happened in the past and look where we are today? Uh, And I'm thinking of, do you remember we met uh, Reed Hastings? We did. CEO of Netflix, all right? Hmm. And they were showing off their thing and we kind of, well, this is pretty cool, you know, the way they do it and and it's all very exciting and this will be interesting, you know. Um, Here we are maybe 10 years later and Netflix has been valued this week at $200 billion, all right? Wow. Never mind the number, right? That number means that Netflix is bigger than American Express, Netflix mm. is bigger than Nike. Yeah. Netflix is bigger than McDonald's. And we spoke to their CEO 10 years ago and we would never have thought that in a million years, would we? <laughs> no. And a very nice chap he was. A terribly too. nice, terribly nice. Or the other example actually happened this week, this week 2007. Steve Jobs got up at the, at the whatever the Worldwide Developers Conference and said that Apple was reinventing the phone. And I love the way he did it because he said, uh, we've got three revolutionary products, a widescreen iPod, a revolutionary mobile phone and a breakthrough internet. And everybody's kind of go, wow, I can't wait to see these things. And then he goes, these are not three separate devices. This is one device. It's the iPhone. But um, oh yeah, total, total showman. But... I mean, I often kind of, you know, you talk about Steve Jobs being a marketing and a great salesman, and so he is, all right? But when you hear those words that he said, Apple is reinventing the phone. Oh, Mm. my God. Did Apple reinvent the phone or what? We wouldn't have thought that in 2007, would we? Uh, No, we certainly would not. So there's all that kind of change, which is kind of leading me into our our interview uh, this week, which you did, because phase three of lockdown is coming to an end. And I think it's, you know, the time when we start asking ourselves, what's next? This very question, you know, when's football going to get back? Are the cinemas going to fully reopen? When do we, when will we not have to queue for a haircut? Um, one of the bigger problems, though, uh, causing concern is schools and how classrooms will look in September. Dr. Anne Devitt is Academic Director at the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin, and she spoke with Niall about the immediate future of education. I guess the last year has forced upon us uh, new approaches to to learning and teaching. So what trends are you yourself seeing? So in a pre-COVID, if you like, so in a a general way, um, before any of this happened, what we were seeing uh, in terms of teaching and learning and the way it's changing is, is, uh, has been some really positive moves towards uh, an emphasis on uh, at, in the younger years play and and as that kind of develops up into the older years that we on collaborative work and project based learning very much a cross curricular approach um, you know integrating uh, skills across different curriculum areas and integrating curriculum areas uh, so you know very these aren't necessarily new things actually because you know curricul- cross curricular integration isn't something that's um, that's new in theory, but certainly it's becoming more evident in practice. Um, with the changes that have happened due to COVID, 
those kind of positive uh, developments around collaboration and play become a lot more difficult to put into practice in uh, you know in a socially distanced or in a, a blended or fully distant um, uh, learning environment. So it, it's definitely <laughs> there's been a lot of change. I think that's something that we're finding in the corporate space as well is that so many meetings have gone online and in one effect, yes, it is combating the COVID experience, but the element of networking um, is is still a, a gap that can't be filled at the moment. So it's very hard to establish new relationships. And I guess it's a problem that teachers that are new to a class or new to a new to a school are going to have to face uh, in the coming months when school gets back and perhaps there are still lessons being delivered online. Do you find that that sort of dynamic or fostering that kind of dyna- dynamic is going to be a major challenge for schools and, and the education system as a whole? Um, well, my view would be that that is the absolutely critical piece that we haven't done yet because, you know, the I guess the crisis was so immediate um, and there was so much to do that that part hasn't really been tackled. Um, but without it, uh, we will lose so much of, uh, of what education is about. Um, so that's not just about the the relationships, uh, you know, between students and friendships and so on. It's actually to do with the learning as well. Um, so all of that interaction that that moves people along in their learning journey, that is largely absent at the moment, um, you know, due to circumstances. And we, we have to work out a way to make that possible. I guess that that's part of the, the 21st century learning paradigm that we've been trying to see implemented over the last, what, 10 years or so with the emphasis on group learning and not necessarily rote learning. And so how do you see classrooms operating if we are going to have to move to sort of a remote learning environment? Are we going to have to have separate Zoom meetings where you would have smaller classes and the teacher becomes more of a facilitator? Or, you know, are we going to see parents become more involved in in educating children you know well what how will the the paradigm shift to accommodate what we really want want to be learning outcomes that we're not getting at the moment well so i suppose if you look at a, a classroom where you know and i'm going to call it old style pre-covid classroom where there really was uh, effective collaborative learning going on um typically you'd have uh a teacher who was very skilled in facilita- uh, facilitation. So this doesn't mean necessarily that they, you know, the, the age or, um, you know, numbers of years of experience of the teacher isn't necessarily that relevant. It's, it is a skill set that can develop. But uh, So you'd have essentially a teacher who was able to set up an environment in which students can work together towards, you know, shared goals with each of them contributing, um, you know, appropriately uh, to whatever were those are those goals, and there's very diff- very definite models for that. Um, you know, so you can take a cooperative learning model. The you know that the the Johnson brothers in the states would have established this from going back thirty thirty odd years, uh, or um, the work of uh, Bridge Twenty One in in Trinity College. Also, the Bridge uh, Twenty One activity model is very much based on that. And even if you go back further, Scouts essentially it's a beautiful collaborative learning model so you have these structures that allow collaboration to take place effectively 
where the person who, the teacher who is, let's say, leading the learning is acting as facilitator. So it is possible to move those structures into an online environment. The online environment doesn't necessarily need to be um, synchronous. So it doesn't need to be uh, uh, shared Zoom meetings, as in that everybody's in the same space at the same time. You know, that can be very useful at certain moments. But uh, so that collaborative, the collaborative activity, people can be working on stuff in their own time and independently. But as long as they're clear on what they're doing and how, how uh, they're moving ahead, the collaborative work, um, that it can be possible uh, as uh, synchronous or asynchronous collaborative activities. So I, I think it's a question of looking at these models of collaborative activity um, identifying for teachers, you know, identifying one which is a best fit for their um, environment, you know, for the age of their learners and the types of their learners and the subjects and so on, uh, and uh, and adapting that to an online space. So the key elements in there are typically that that the members of a team really are members of a team in that they have. Uh, you know, a clear understanding of what their shared goals are. They've got a clear understanding of what the different members of the team can contribute and and an understanding that each member of the team has a responsibility to make that contribution and that, that what what is um, what is a collaborative activity is relying on equally on all members rather than, uh, you know, one person being able to take over and do a lot, you know, do the whole team activity for the team and everyone else sits back. So, you know, it, it's kind of about taking... Uh, structures that we know are effective for collaborative work and adapting them or implementing them in an online environment. One of the things that we're, we've learned uh, about moving from offline to online communication is we're, we're getting things like Zoom fatigue that, that really weren't uh, an issue before. And I imagine will be sort of uh, an even bigger problem in the classroom. So how do you find learning models and lesson models are going to have to evolve to accommodate the fact that, you know, kids' attention spans are, are only so, so big, uh, even when there is still so much information to impart. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, I, I, I've been suffer, suffering from online meeting fatigue plenty myself, so uh, uh, I do know what that's like. But I suppose one thing that we do have to remember is that people's attention spans or how they're managing the, the finite resources that they have available to them in a day are always limited. So you get, you know, the difference between how a teacher is going to run a class before lunch and how they run a class first thing in the morning is always going to be different. And it ho- always has to accommodate that um, that perspective on, you know, where are my students coming from? How are they likely to be feeling? And, and how do I set that up? So I suppose what I would uh, encourage here is that we use the online time for uh, for activity that's useful to do online. So there's no point using a Zoom meeting to give a presentation because, you know, that presentation could be, as in to, to present some set of facts that can be read or watched as a video or whatever, because that's not, um, it's not a productive use of the time that people are online. What's a productive use of the time when they're online is bringing you want to bring people together for a reason and to have an intended goal for whatever for them being together so i i think um 
it is necessary to use online time for new material, but maybe not for that presentation moment, but for that interaction with that new material. So whatever activity and questions. Uh, so essentially a model like a flipped classroom model is is very useful where you're in a situation where you have to, you know, some of the, not all of the activity can be face to face. So you want people to do some work before they come to class, come to class you know, relatively ready to engage with what they have to engage with and then take them, you know, use that time effectively for that goal. Um, and, and I would say to, to teachers, you know, you know your students well, you know what keeps them, you know, what will hook them in, what will keep them switched on, what kind of activities they're familiar with and they can do easily and what kind of things might take more work. And don't forget that you know that even though you're all in a, an unfamiliar environment so to make use of, of what what you as teachers, the knowledge you're bringing to the table as well. When we're looking at the toolkit that uh, teachers are working with at the moment or sort of the utopian view that I, I remember from years ago where every kid would have an iPad and there would be cre- content creators and producers as as much as, you know, students. Um, how do you see that toolkit evolving, you know, beyond the projector, beyond the iPad or the, the whiteboard? Uh, are we going to see things like uh, greater teacher input into development of online work? environments like Google, like uh, Moodle, for example? That's a, a very interesting question. Um, when it comes to, um, you know, the primary and post-primary space, anything that involves um, content creation is going to come with a big um, warning around, you know, online digital practices. So where, where people are underage, you have... Uh, you know, you have a duty of care around that. So there, there is one, that is a big caveat to do, to do with that piece. Um, but essentially in any subject area, uh, part of the biggest challenge for a teacher is to create an authentic, you know, a real world context for the learning. So, you know, if you're a language teacher, um, providing some context where, where the students need to use that language really like meaningfully in a, with, with real speakers of the language somewhere else it is really valuable in, in progressing learning. And similarly for maths, you know, uh, it's all very well doing uh, math sums about, uh, you know, calculating up recipes or something. Uh, but actually making, you know, doing the recipe where you're doing the maths as part of a meaningful activity um, can really progress the learning. And so that, I think, is where the online environment uh, offers for loads of subjects an opportunity to get real authenticity into the classroom. So whether that's, you know, finding a real audience for your work or um, genuinely being able to contribute to a citizen science experiment, for example, all of those things can, they aren't just useful in uh, providing a platform for students they're useful in actually pushing the learning forward because um, they provide the students with with the motivation and the context for use of the, of the learning that they're doing uh, i suppose i've taken your question more from the student side um, teachers uh, engage all the time with with sharing and offering you know ideas around all kinds of classroom activity online and offline classroom activities um, and I'd say the most, probably this COVID experience, one of the 
one of the factors that that I would feel anyway has has this is highlighted is you know there's loads of material out there there's absolutely volumes of learning opportunities for students and teaching ideas for teachers um but the difficulty can be often in curating that so in in you know identifying which activity for which student or or identifying which topic areas most would be best addressed with you know particular kinds of activities um so it's not so much that there, there isn't any shortage i don't think and certainly i think teachers will be doing this more and more and sharing practice you know sharing ideas for practice and there are loads of opportunities for that 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 teachers are already taking up but i think curating all of that material is is quite a task uh, that you know to be undertaken and that was Niall Kitson chatting with Dr. Anne Devitt, Academic Director at the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. That's it for our show this week. Just before we go, remember that times are uncertain, but your job does not have to be. Fidelity Investments are hiring for tech roles in Ireland. You can apply now at fidelityinvestments.ie to virtually join a global leader in fintech innovation from the safety of your own home. Their website again, fidelityinvestments.ie. Of course, on our own website, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson thank you so much for listening. Keep washing your hands. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com.